You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Hey, we are canceling the apocalypse! People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. This will tell the tale. Anything to say before sentence is carried out. Sentence? What's my sentence? <laughs> Things have a way of escalating out here in the West. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. That man is a wonder. Well, we'll just have to see you we? First time. podcast from parts unknown a strange journey through the depths of netflix it is anthony lewis glenn Beauvais back talking another netflix original uh this time uh another glenn pick the ballad of buster scruggs which is i don't know glenn when you watch this this is a joel and ethan cohen production when you watch this were they separated into episodes no, they weren't. It was just one. Okay, I thought at some point they were separated into their individual pieces. Because when I watched it, it was also a combined. Yeah, um, I mean, the movie's supposed to be an anthology. No, they weren't, like, separated, like, timestamp. Okay, for some reason I thought that perhaps they were separated by, um, by short. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then, that's not me going crazy, then. Okay. Uh, but this is six shorts. Uh, they use basically uh, kind of like this book device to float you from from story to story. The book is called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and it's, an, it's like And Other Tales of the American West, I think. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines, uh, which I presume is too long a title for them to slap on here for the movie, but it more accurately describes what you're going to watch. Because mm-hmm. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is just the first story, yeah. and then the rest, of the, <laughs> the rest of the experience has nothing to do with Buster Scruggs, which actually is to my sadness, because it was one of my favorite shorts. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but there are six of them. They are not 
tied together, I would say, in any way other than, in some ways, tone, but mostly just in setting. These are all yeah. set in the American Old West. Old Testament. That's Yeah. Not a lot of happy endings in uh, in these. <laughs> but, uh, which I guess is kind of common for, for the Coens, I suppose. But yeah, they don't really have a happy uh, Have you ever seen them talk? In, like, do they, are they chipper or cheery in any way? I or? have no idea what they sound like. No? Okay. Uh, I so, just know they're up in Minnesota. And they write their all their stuff in their like little office that they have up there and yeah ask people to be in their movies and people generally say yes uh okay so let's talk about these real quick let's sort of just move through them uh the first one is the ballad of buster scruggs uh right away this is and and for my two cents this is the short that sticks out by far the most from all of the others this one feels like it's almost in some sort of weird alternate universe from the other ones. Uh, because we meet Buster, who's riding on horseback, singing a song, and then he addresses the audience. Like, he mm-hmm. talks right to the camera. And uh, and he's not your typical, your old Westy outlaw type. He's described on Wikipedia as a cheerful outlaw, which I think is... Uh, at best, uh, a very low-level explanation of Buster Scruggs. He's very flamboyant, this Buster Scruggs. And yeah. uh, he arrives at an isolated bar full of other art laws where he exchanges insults. And uh, let's just say, at first it seems like he's just a happy-go-lucky fella. Uh, yeah. But it's not. He's like the deadliest gunslinger in the West. When people piss him off, he doesn't necessarily get mad at them. He sort of no. kindly murders them. He just murders the crap out of them. Yeah, like, real bad. Uh, and it comes out of nowhere. Like, that whole... Like, it's just all of a sudden there's blood everywhere. Yeah, uh, when he... Uh, when he kills that guard from the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, when he just oh, steps on the on table... Clancy yeah, Clancy Brown. <laughs> yes. When he just steps on the plank of the card table and it just pops up hits him in the face and his gun goes off and he just shoots himself over and over again. Holy shit. And then he just goes and <laughs> sings a song. He's dancing on the table like it's a like like it's a coyote ugly or something and uh then he uh it, he so it's Surly Joe that he's killed and Surly Joe's brother is angry and challenges Buster to a gunfight in the street and Buster shoots off each of his fingers before he can even grab his gun, and then he shoots him with a mirror. Where he's like, ah, best not to get too fancy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But then he meets a polite young man clad in black, and he challenges Buster, who again happily obliges. But much to his surprise, this young man is an even faster draw than Buster and shoots him right through his forehead. Buster examines the wound in disbelief, collapsing, uh, then admitting via voiceover that he should have foreseen that you can't be top dog forever. And then Buster's angelic soul rises from his body, complete with harp and wings, as he sings a duet with the man who killed him. Yep. I love this. I don't know. How did you feel about the first short? (laughs) No, it was great. It was 
like when that first one went off we'll kind of talk about as as we go along with them but yeah yeah the first one i'm like man if they're all like these this is like like my favorite version of coen brothers mm-hmm. i mean no country for old man a, a master but it's like you know the the weird zany just bloody for bloody sake yeah you know just just nonchalantly murdering because because you can like not like in a tarantino way but you know what i mean like they just mm-hmm. they have like a a certain way that they do violence in their life. Like, I said, this this one to me was like burn after reading, mm-hmm. where it's just like really weird. You don't kind of know what the hell's going on, but it's just like people just get slaughtered in that movie for no reason. <laughs> so I, that was kind of how I felt with this one. It's just people just got their heads blown off. I mean, for me, there were really only two shorts. Like, there were only uh, two shorts in this where I wished these had been the movie. Or yeah. something because I was captivated by this. Like I need to see more of this world. This is crazy. What is this? Yeah. Uh, now, granted, it's possible that this character might only do good in a short story setting. It's possible that two hours of this might be too much. Well, but... it's not even the longest short because I think the no. the the wagon one with was longer. Has, that, yes. That's like the longest one. Yeah. Um. So that was pretty good. Yeah, it was uh, good. It was a good one. The second short is near Algodones. Al Godones? Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, James Franco robs a bank in a prairie. Uh, as he is... At first I didn't even recognize it was James Franco for some reason until his hat fell off. And then it was like, holy shit, yeah, that's James Franco. He's not yeah. even doing anything to look not James Franco-y. It's just James yeah. Franco with a hat on. Uh, he's... He tries to rob this bank as he is fleeing the jabbering bank teller. He tries to rob Stephen Root. He tries to rob Stephen Root, and uh, he tries to shoot at him. Uh, <laughs> they return fire, but the teller comes outside, charging at him, wearing washboards and several pots and pans, which deflect all of the bullets. And the teller keeps screaming, Pan shot! Every time it hits him. <laughs> and then eventually he knocks James Franco out. When James Franco wakes up, he's on horseback, but his hands are tied behind his back and he's got a noose around his neck and he is about to be convicted obviously for his bank robbery attempt and he's sentenced to death uh, he didn't have much to say in his own defense except that he thought Panshot guy didn't quite fight fair <laughs> and uh, his execution is interrupted by ambushing Comanche warriors who yeah. slaughter the lawmen and basically leave James Franco on the horse uh, as a troll yeah uh, and, uh, he almost dies. The horse finds some grass and starts slowly walking towards it. And James Franco almost slowly just gets choked to death, uh, on this noose before he is saved by a, uh, a cattle rustler who are then yep. promptly chased down by another lawman's posse. <laughs> the rustler's like shit and hightails it while James Franco just sits there like an idiot. Uh, they capture him and take him into town where the sheriff again orders him to be hung and uh, they put him up on the gallows with three other men awaiting execution he sees a beautiful girl and he says so out loud using words there's a pretty girl and then he's hung the end gotta say outside of the laugh I got a good chuckle out of James Franco staring 
like at these guys writing at him, like what the hell? And then it just smash cuts to him being arrested again and being sentenced to being hung. Like, uh, but other than that, yeah. there was so not much to this. I don't, this was one I liked a lot. Okay. Um, it, it was super short, but it was just like... This one, I think, was the shortest, right? Yeah, it was probably like five minutes, if that. But yeah. that, I think that's why I went, like, I felt like they really could have filled in the gaps. Whole, I mean, they you almost could have made a whole movie because of how much they left open. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you could have seen him planning to rob the bank. The whole bank robbery going bad, him getting hung. Like there, so much of that stuff, like you could have just strung out. Like it could have been so much longer. Yes. I mean, I'm fine that it wasn't. Uh, you know, it was it was good, quick. You know, over with. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the pace really changes with the next one. Yeah. Uh, but it was just a. Uh, I, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I chuckled. I thought like the whole like Comanches just coming in and just slaughtering everyone. Oh, that was then, great. That was awesome. It just yeah. like leaving him there like eh, i mean you're a dead man walking like what's the point like just so yeah like what is it like you're unarmed and your hands are tied behind your back and you got a noose around your head i mean the comanche chief just like scares the horse a little bit and then he laughs in james franco's face and then rides off <laughs> that was pretty good i mean none of these were bad this was just you know really short yeah it was just short that's what i mean is there is this was the one i felt like you could really explore a lot with just because it was so bare bone yeah. Um, yeah, no, okay. that's pretty good. So then we got Meal Ticket. Uh, yeah. An impresario played by Liam Neeson is uh, cattling around his his performing artist, Harrison, played by Harry Melling, which... Is thespian. I was... My mind was fucking blown when I was looking through the cast list of this. I didn't recognize the name Harry Melling, and then I looked it. Uh, you know, looked up the Wikipedia article to find out that it's fucking Dudley Dursley from Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry's fucking douchebag cousin or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Blew my mind. Anyway, he has no arms and no legs. So it's kind of like a freak show, kind of, but not really. I mean, it is in the fact that he's shocking to look at. But the performance is going from town to town where Harrison theatrically uh, recites classics like uh, Ozymandias. He retells the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, He does... Gettysburg Address. Gettysburg Address. uh, William Shakespeare's uh, Sonnet 29. So there's a lot of... It's, you know, theatrical stage performance. And uh, we start off with a really large crowd. And they're all very appreciative of, of the, the act. And Liam Neeson goes and collects money for the act. And they continue to go from town to town. But as they get further into the mountains, the small the, the towns get smaller. Uh, the crowds get smaller and also less appreciative. And, they're, and to the point where they got to one show where there was only three people and none of them were impressed. And none of yeah. Well, and, one guy left and then they never did. No, they didn't give him any money. Yeah, no money. And uh, while they're one night, uh, the impresario sees a, a lot of commotion, and he goes and sees a, a, that a crowd has been drawn by a chicken that can perform basic <laughs> math by pecking at painted numbers to answer addition and subtraction equations that the audience calls out. He buys this chicken, 
and then drives the wagons through the mountain pass and stops at a bridge over rushing water. He walks to the center of the bridge and drops a large stone in it to gauge the water's depth before returning to the wagon wearing a faint smile. And in the final scene, we see the impresario resuming his driving of the wagon with the chicken in the back as his only passenger, uh, leaving you to presume that he took the armless and legless man and just threw him into the bridge to drown. Which is, you know, that's showbiz, folks. I think was the, uh, uh, I think this was some sort of, I don't know, Glenn, some sort of faint commenting on, on the film business, maybe. Only as useful as, you know, as you're young and pretty and... I mean, I got that too, but I also got like, whatever happened to good movies, how come everybody loves fucking Transformers, is what I got from this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that The too. chicken is Transformers and the armless, legless man uh, reciting Shelley and Shakespeare. Uh, like, nobody wants that away, anymore. The further you get away from those times, the less sophisticated people are. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think is necessarily... I think that might be a rose-colored glasses feeling, but... Yeah, no, I mean, it's... You know, and then... Just, you know, it's weird, too. It's like, with Liam Neeson, is he, like, really care of him? Like, you actually kind of feel like he likes him. He does a lot for him. A bit, but, right? Like, but... As, yeah, but as it goes on, as he's like, you know, he... He, yeah. he only cares about him as much as... As busy as they are. You know, right. he takes him... I mean, the, he, the title of the short completely gives it away. Meal ticket. Harrison is oh, yeah. his meal ticket. Uh, and when the meal ticket stops drawing, you that ticket isn't giving you any meals. So it's time to get a new one. Uh, it's pretty dark. It might be the darkest of these. I, I mean, think it is. Yeah, that. And then you get the... When he has sex at the brothel. Yeah. Oh, that was... Yeah, that was the worst. <laughs> This is, you know, I think this is the darkest of them, for sure. It is. It, the thing that, like, this one was good. I, I don't say, like, all of these are generally, at worst, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one was the one where you, you know, you say what the title, like, you know what the end game is. I that yeah. was, The problem with mine is you just kept hearing him recite it. And I get that you're, you're supposed to also get sick of it, too, mm-hmm. to maybe feel less sympathetic whenever he gets, you know, thrown into the river yeah i didn't uh, but yeah no i i'm guessing that's kind of what the idea is ah, yes a bit. but uh you just you know what the end game is so it's just kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just get to that like i don't know why this one wasn't as short as the james one um so the next one is all gold canyon tom waits arrives in a pristine mountain valley fucking uh, does He's an old prospector and decides to dig for some gold in a grassy meadow beside the river. Uh, he's panning through shovelfuls over the course of days, finding gold specks and then finding bigger and bigger pieces. And he starts... Uh, he he's suspects, throwing away the speck. Yeah, he suspects that there are bigger pieces on the third day. Throws away a lot of gold. Yeah, on the third day he starts finding nuggets uh, before he reaches Mr. Pocket. Uh, a gold pot, a gold vein, uh, running through the the rock bed, and uh, he eventually uncovers this this vein, and no sooner does he do it than a shadow falls over him. A young man, who has apparently been trailing him, let the prospector do all the work, has snuck to the edge of the hole, and shoots the prospector in the back, and then he waits an exceptionally long time, <laughs> rolls a cigarette, takes a drag 
finally decides to hop in there. The prospector has been playing dead. He wrestles the young man's gun away and kills him with it. The prospector eventually cleans and assesses his wounds, confirms that it's not lethal, finishes mining the gold, and pushes the man's body back into the hole to serve as his grave and departs the valley. Uh, This was pretty good, Glenn. This was a good one. I loved it. Just... I whenever Tom Waits got shot, I was like, "Man, eh, I don't really want Tom die." It's like, "Oh no, it's just Grasshopper and the Ant." Got it. Oh yeah, <laughs> fooled that kid. <laughs> he sure didn't. He just blew his fucking head off. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he takes the owl's eggs. Oh, that was know, fucking great. He's like, "No, you're right. I won't." He doesn't take all of them. He's like, "I'll just take one." How ma- how high can an owl count anyway? He says. <laughs> Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, I just I could watch Tom Waits just freaking dig up that whole valley. Yeah, that was he was excellent, and it was and like a one man show and essentially. Whole, and the whole valley goes back to yeah. Ear comes back. It's all. <laughs> this is a good one. Um, the gal who got red. It was, it was also very pretty. It was that was. Oh like, my goodness! Yeah. Well, I mean, all of these. This is one of the I mean, things that like I want to say about hidden valley. I would say with the exception of the maybe the last short, all of them looked really stunning. Like, these guys and who they have doing their cinematography, they know how to frame a shot. Uh, There were at least a couple where I'm positive they knew how good it looked, and they held on it for, like, a beat. Just so Mm -hmm. you could admire how gorgeous everything looked. Um, And not just in this episode, but in in most of them. There would be um, just shots that were stunning. I just, this is really well done. Um, the gal who got rattled. So this is about, uh, Alice and Gilbert, brother and sister. Um, Gilbert is an inept businessman. Uh, they're on the Oregon trail, Glenn. Uh, when Gilbert dies, unfortunately not of dysentery. Uh, it was cholera, I believe. Uh, but uh, the whole plan, the whole reason Alice is coming with him is because Gilbert claims that his new business partner will marry his sister. So when he's dead, all those prospects seem out the window. Uh, the train's leaders, Mr. Knapp and Mr. Arthur, help Alice bury her brother. Uh, and even though she doesn't have any definite prospects in Oregon, Alice decides to continue on the trip rather than return east. Uh, there's some hullabaloo about a young man who is with that Gilbert had hired to lead their wagon and something about promised money and ex- that stuff's really not that important. What's important about this is that damn dog. Well, that, okay. So president Pierce, the dog named after Franklin Pierce, uh, <laughs> one of our worst presidents. I love that. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah. Cause when they're asked about him, she's like, oh yeah, he was a big supporter of, which further goes into the fact that he was an inept businessman. He was a supporter yeah. of Franklin Pierce. <laughs> uh, so much works there. Uh, the dog, you know, runs off. Uh, well, the, she first wants it put down, but the dog runs off. Mr. Knapp is the one who's going to do it. Long story short, though, Mr. Knapp kind of falls for Alice, and Alice kind of falls for him. And, you know, he said that he could take on his brother's debt if he married her. And... Uh, ultimately they uh, decide that this is what they're going to do and he's going to leave the trail and when they get to Oregon they get married and he will get up to 640 acres uh, thanks to the Homestead Act uh, 
Uh, so she accepts, and Nap informs Arthur that this is going to be their last ride together. The following morning, Mr. Arthur notices that Alice is missing, only to find out that she heard the dog and went after it. And the dog is barking at, uh, I don't know, what, what, is, what is the dog barking at? Like uh, Prairie dogs. Prairie dogs, that's right. Um, and as it turned out, dogs are still hilarious, even in the Old West, uh, just as they are today on YouTube. Uh, but things go awry when Mr. Arthur spots an Indian Sentinel, uh, an advancing war party, and gives Alice a pistol so that if he is killed, that she can shoot herself to avoid capture. Uh, then a really intense battle goes on with Mr. Arthur driving the charging warriors back not once but twice. Uh, a remaining warrior manages to momentarily get the better of Mr. Arthur, but he kills him. Um, Arthur does. He kills the the Indian. Uh, and once he gets back to Alice, um, he unfortunately discovers that she had shot herself incorrectly, thinking that uh, Mr. Arthur was killed, or about to be killed. And he sadly walks back to the wagon train with President Pierce, unsure of what he's going to say to Billy Knapp. Uh, this is the other one of the two, or the other one of the six, outside of the Buster Scruggs one, that I think I thought would actually make for a good longer story. I think mostly only because I uh, I think this went on long enough uh, for me to kind of care a little bit about the characters a bit more. Yeah, I didn't really care so much about, like, the. I mean, I get they're setting the stage, but, like, the whole dinner scene, I mean, yeah, that... like there was no, there wasn't a, like, her just talking about stuff on the train, like, I felt like I would have got just same. Yeah, the whole dinner scene was essentially there to, I mean, it did set the table a little bit, but largely I feel like it was there to let you know about cholera going around. Because they talk about a guy who's staying at the house who's been coughing up a storm or whatever, and that maybe he's infected or he's sick or something. And to me, like, that was the whole setup of Gilbert getting cholera and dying. But, I mean, you could have done that without being there either. Like, it's just a thing you could catch back then. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like it, there may have been some superfluous things. But most of the wagon train stuff itself, I just, I thought all that stuff was great. Uh, the yeah, weird I mean, shit the with the dog. Scene. The <laughs> fight scene was great. Arthur's a badass. Yeah, Mr. Arthur was awesome. Uh, anything else about that particular short, or shall we move on to the final one? Uh, no, you know, you said it before, but another one, just really pretty. All the yes. flat escapes stuff. A really pretty yes. uh, short. Uh, Mortal Remains is the last one. So we've got five people in a stagecoach. Uh, riding to Fort Morgan, Colorado, there's an Englishman, an Irishman, uh, Thigpen and Clarence, a Frenchman, Rene, um, a lady, uh, and a fur trapper. Uh, and this was literally them talking the whole way to the to the place. Uh, and I loved it. And, I, loved, I mean, I the it. fur trapper, he was the the king of this short. I know. Oh my god. Uh, Chelsea Ross, I think, is the actor's name. This was just... Aw- he just went on and on <laughs> like in like about one topic for like five straight minutes. And it, 
I'm like, okay, he's he's kind of drabbling on here. But it's, you know, the joke that it keeps going, that it stops becoming funny and then becomes funny again. Like, his story got boring, and then it just went on for so long that it became interesting again. And he then there's... not talked to anybody, like, in six months. When he's... When he's finally done, there's just this, this, this silence. Like, they can't believe this man's talked for so long. And then the uh, Irishman, played by Brendan Gleeson, he's just like... Um, but did you love her? <laughs> like he set him up again to like start talking. Uh, yeah, because he probably got a kick out of everyone else's pain. Yes, I mean, you can tell him and the other his partner. Or I guess his boss, Thigpen. Yeah, were, yeah, they both were like kind of getting a kick out of you know as they told their story to like torture the the other three. Yeah. So eventually, the fur trapper, the Frenchman, and the lady they start getting in a debate about types of people, you know, that sort of thing. The trapper is like, no, everybody's the same. And the lady is like, no, there are two types of people. And, uh, the Frenchman is like, no, no, no. It's like way more intricate than that. It's not black and white. And they're arguing back and forth until they finally, uh, find out from Thigpin and Clarence who they are. And they just come out and tell them like, oh, we're uh, bounty hunters. Uh, we kill people. Yeah. Uh, the Englishman regales them with a story while the Irishman thumps them. Clarence is good at thumping people. Uh, and this terrifies these people because they're all going to be staying in the same building with these essentially legal murderers. Although I don't know why they're that terrified of them unless they've done something wrong themselves. But It's just they know that they're killers. Yeah, it's creepy. And they've got a body with them. Uh, <laughs> and they arrive at the... Uh, they they eventually arrive at the where the, their location... And they, Thigpin and Clarence carry the corpse into the hotel and slowly um, dismount, and the rest of the passengers slowly dismount and warily make their way inside. Um, I like this, but I don't know if it was a good ending to it, of the whole set. Yeah, you know I, mean? I think that one should have been more in the middle. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this one was one of my favorite ones. I liked it a lot, but yeah, I think, I think Mr. Pocket should have been the last one. I think that was good. That would have been not pretty so good, you, or just James Franco had, uh, getting uh, hanged at the end. Yeah, the only reason why I say that is because it's there's like finality to it. Like he leaves, and like goes back to normal. And to be like, if you're bookending all this about nature, like, and it's really, kind of a happy ending. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really care. So they don't care about happy. Oh no, but, they don't. But <laughs> but I just think like it kind of just oh the book ends. You know, nature's nature. like I think that would have been kind of yeah. Satisfying. Um, okay, so uh, what would you what would you give this uh, this here ballad of Buster Scruggs? It's, it's tough, right? That is. I think this is uh, Stephanie Mayo's. Uh, this was her favorite movie. I think of the really. I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, I did not know that. Well, this is not my favorite movie of the year, but no, no, no. I I kind of use it as a one of my barometers. I did like it quite a bit. I gave it a four. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it, it's just, it's a hard, I don't know, yeah, it's a hard, yeah, I would say like a four, maybe four and a quarter, it's just, mm-hmm. everything it's a worked. hard thing to gauge. Yeah. yeah, everything worked, it's just varying degrees of how good it worked, Um, you know, in, in, in that regard. Some stuff was a little too short, some stuff was a little too long, some stuff I think I would have, like, expanded more on. Um, Imagine yeah. if Buster Scruggs was the last one. Holy cow! Like, I just would have ended and been like, what the 
That would I mean, have it's been. a good tone setter. Like it's good. Like okay, yeah, sure. I'm I'm ready for this. I mean, it, it was, was really but... weird because nothing else, none of the other shorts were really yeah. anything like it at all. Maybe it's their way of like subverting expectations. Yeah, I'm like, holy shit, like, is yeah, this what we're me in? Right. Yeah. I, and, and part of the re- maybe that's part of the reason why it got a four and maybe not something a little higher is because when this started, I'm like, oh shit, this is what I'm in for. And then the rest of it was nothing like this. It was yeah. If it, if it was all like Buster Scruggs, oh man, that would. Some sort of weird subverted uh, twist on, like, the Western or something, I would have... I mean, they didn't all have to be like Buster Scruggs, but if they were all... If they all twisted it in some other direction, I think that would have been really awesome. But for what it is, in its own way, it is still really good. So, And it's worth watching, uh, for sure, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's good. Okay, so... uh, before we take off, I thank the good people of Adam Tickets for sponsoring the show. Cinemageekly.com slash Adam Tickets or click the Adam Tickets link at the top of the page to pick yourself up some movie tickets or gift card for the movie fan in your life. Uh, also, uh, since you're hanging out at the website, you, know, you can check us out on <clears throat> Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn as well, I believe, because we're on the main feed here. Uh, and just search for Cinema Geekly and hit subscribe. So uh, we're back to pick for me, Glenn. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was on my to-watch list for 2018, but I didn't get a chance to because it's uh, I was uh, awaiting my turn. And as we record this, we are now in 2019. Uh, but I am picking the 2018 adventure drama directed by Andrew Circus, Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle. Uh, we're going to watch All that right. next time on a podcast from Parts Unknown. <laughs> <laughs>